Okay, if you'd like to find a Bible, while I continue to attempt to to wrestle my microphone into submission, um, would you like to find Acts chapter 8, that well-known Christmassy passage? (laughs) As part of our series, we thought we'd keep going with Acts this week. So Acts chapter 8, and in a moment I'm going to read from verse 4. Okay, from verse 4 through to verse 25. Uh, Say this. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the message there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, Impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers uh, there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you've said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Right. I'm just going to give this one more go. It would appear that to preach with this kind of microphone, your ear has to be just the right size and shape. And maybe I woke up this morning and it had changed on me. Anyway, Acts chapter 8, here we are, here we go. We've been going through um, Acts together. It, I don't know if, you've, if, this, if this has struck you, but there's, 
There's obviously so many different stories that are contained. So many different people are profiled in, in so many in different times in different places. Um, at the same time, it's a bit of a mystery. There's so much we do, we don't hear. So we hear a bit about Peter, and for a while, for the first few chapters, it seems that he's the main focus. Now, uh, we're moving on a little bit. We hear about Stephen, and then, and then Philip. Uh, and Luke, in writing Acts, doesn't follow one person forever and a day, and, and doesn't kind of finish neatly every story. Um, we hear, maybe in a way, Stephen is the one whose who's full story we do hear about. But that concludes with him, his stoning and death. It's like Luke is referencing lots. But uh, if we're hoping just to find out what the apostles were about or, or how the church grew or, or where it spread, we, we'll be encouraged by what we see here, but we'll also be left with a slight sense that the story's not, not finished. There's a kind of reason for that. And that is that Luke's passion and his concern is to show to us that God is the hero of the story. That, that God is doing something remarkable, that God is on the move, and that we see this by the ways in which it refers a number of times to the word of God spreading, like a, a powerful seed going in the ground. Can you imagine, I don't know if many of you are into, into gardening, but imagine a seed, imagine a plant that, that, that you, wherever that seed is sown, it, so incredible is that seed, like a magic bean, it has within it the power to grow in, in any soil, in, in any climate, in any situation. And this is what we see as the story of what God is doing unfolds uh, through the, the book of the book of Acts. So Luke begins with, I suppose, his version of the Great Commission at the outset in, in Acts chapter 1 and verse, uh, verse 8. From the lips of Jesus, he says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if that's Luke's focus, it's obvious that he can't tell every single story. We don't find out about all the different directions that different apostles might have gone in. Uh, we find out about a few of them going from Jerusalem, that's where it starts, and at the end of the book we find that some of them are in Rome. That, that's the kind of journey uh, that, that Luke is doing. It's kind of in, in one direction. There must be so much more that he could have said, but what we're seeing on the way is that the word of God has power to change lives in all sorts of different places. The power, God is on the move on the streets of Jerusalem. But now we see that God is on the move in a city of Samaria. Later on we'll see that God is on the move in a Roman household. We'll see God on the move in many different uh, Jewish synagogues scattered through, uh, through modern day Turkey. We'll see God on the move in a Greek marketplace. We'll even see God on the move in the aftermath of a Mediterranean shipwreck. Wherever the word of God spreads, it bears fruit. And it does that as people get caught up into God's mission. God is drawing people into what he is doing. This, this great commission 
being, of being his witnesses to the very end of the world. That's what he's drawing, in, drawing people into. And we're going to meet a whole variety of people in a moment and see how the word of God impacted them. But it's to help us to see God's great mission, the story that God is inviting us into. And even that's what Luke is wanting to do by writing this book of Acts. Uh, a few years after the events that we're reading about, he's, he's wanting to draw people in to the adventure of being on God's mission. And in a way, that's what's happening with the Christmas story as well. God is on the move, and you see him drawing people in. You find the angel Gabriel, scattered from heaven, comes to earth, and he'll approach a man, and this is, in a way, this is before the nativity really takes off, I understand that, but he'll go to a man called Zachariah, and Gabriel will say, I I'm Gabriel, this is my paraphrase, and I stand in the presence of God, apart from today, when I've, come to ha I've, I've had to come to see you. God's on a mission, so he's called me to do something. And here I am, announcing good news. And God will interrupt the life of ordinary shepherds on a Bethlehem hill slope uh, with great news. Go to, this go to the town of Bethlehem and see, lying in a manger, the saviour of the world. So these ordinary shepherds come down the hill, they go, they find the saviour of the world, their minds are blown, they're blown away, and they, they return telling everyone about it. They're just spreading the word. Uh, they're, they're invited in to the story. God is on the move, and God invites us into his mission, into what he is doing on planet Earth. I wonder sometimes if we think and pray and live like it's the other way around. Like the great aim. There's a God out there somewhere, and if you can crack the code, and if you can make it through, and if he, and if he just happens to hear your voice, maybe you can invite God to get involved with your story. Maybe you can invite God to, to get on your mission. And the wonderful thing about God is when he encourages us to pray, he'll get to that line that says, you know, um, give us today our daily bread. And if you're basically living a comfortable life like me, you rarely have to pray that literally. So you start thinking about what other needs one might have. There's that meeting that's going on. There's, there's this journey to be done. There's, there's plans and preparations afoot, Lord. Can you see? And so we can kind of like pray through the events of the day. If we get really enthusiastic, all that the week might involve. But behind the prayer might, in my mind, sometimes, it's confession time again, people. Um, the, the desire, the motivation is, is to get God involved with what's going on for me. And if he does... I'm encouraged and built up. And if he doesn't, he, he's missed a trick somewhere along the line. You know, God is looking to catch people up in his plans. We see that great commission. And then at the beginning of chapter 8, we see a great persecution unfold. As people are greatly mourning for the death of Stephen. And it doesn't say this in the text per se, but you know what follows the great persecution and the great mourning is uh, also the great inconvenience. The great inconvenience of, I mean, can you imagine if this was the message today? 
the, the elders of the church and the, the guys who are about to be elders of the church have got together and, and it's really clear. So we know we need to deliver a, a, an important message to you today. I mean, just imagine. It's no longer safe enough to live out your Christian faith in Sheffield. Go. Scatter. Find somewhere else. A relative. Can you imagine what was going on? After the death of Stephen... And, and the apostles stay put in Jerusalem, and we're told that everybody else scatters. They find somewhere else, travel to a relative maybe. And, and uh, we just have to, you know, bear with me for a moment. They've got to find somewhere new to live. They've, they've got to reestablish that family business. They've got to settle down. They've got to make some new connections in a new place. But we're told right at the beginning of the, of the, the passage that I read, just in, in, in simple understatement, those who are scattered, in my paraphrase, just kept talking about Jesus. That you get a people so caught up in God's mission that even though there's a great persecution, even though there's great grief at times, or maybe just great inconvenience, doesn't God realize that Moving house is one of the most stressful things you can do. Then imagine it's moving in with family and the stress just ratchets up even more. Oh, how we... Forgive me. Um, if, when we get so caught up on the mission of God, you can pray those prayers about circumstance and see God come through wonderfully and provide. But God's mission is about more than just helping me find a parking space tomorrow morning. God, God's mission is, is about more than, than just the details of the things that are on my mind. God's mission is to see people saved and added by believing in the one and only Saviour, Jesus, who died on a cross. It was essential that he did, so that by his blood shed, and his body broken, we might be forgiven of sin for all time. And for all time, we might be in a whole new quality of life, a whole new walk with him uh, that is eternal and is glorious and that involves us then. It's not, it's not just some duty. It's we get to be included. We have the, the privilege of telling others. I think that's what was going on for the shepherds. They're just so amazed that God should choose to involve them. That it just spilled out of them all that they'd seen and heard about Jesus. That's what we're caught up in because God is on the move. God is not some distant, uninterested, kind of mechanical deity that if you just manage to pull the right lever, you can get to be involved in your life. God is the one who's powerfully at work on planet Earth, drawing us in to his mission, to his plans, to his purposes. That clock doesn't work, so I'll just look here. Amen. Hallelujah. Here's a few people that get caught up into God's mission. We'll see, we'll just see a few, take a few moments 
to, to consider what some of the encouragement might be for us in this. And uh, we've seen the scattered people of verse 4. Those who've been scattered preach the word wherever they went. All that follows, there's something so glorious about it, which is this. This maybe just thrills me. It wasn't organized. It wasn't coordinated. It wasn't head office working out how they could extend into new markets. It's God on the move. So he catches people up. In his mission, there's life and people are coming to faith because of what God is doing through ordinary people who are just infusing about Jesus. That's no uh, kind of polemic against good organisation. I just delight to see that God will be glorified in all sorts of ways, all sorts of times, through all sorts of people, that the great persecution and the great inconvenience became the great joy. And why don't we, we carry that as a, as a community? If in the year to come, there are times when we think, oh my goodness, this is so awkward. It's so awkward to be a believer in Jesus right now. It's so difficult. When we would ponder, oh, why, why did you take, or why did you allow them to take Stephen, Lord? When, when grief can be in the mix, being a believer in Jesus doesn't immunize us, doesn't just lift us out straight away. One day it will, hallelujah, but right now it doesn't lift us out of the realm of, of, of grieving and of awkwardness and convenience. But let God be God and we follow him and we trust him and we'll see how he brings about great joy. Can you imagine what would it be like for us if, we, if right now we just had to say, scatter, go, settle in a new town? Maybe it's more helpful for us to think that this is where God has scattered us for now. And what would that be like? What would it be like to be scattered here in this city, but for it to be described of Sheffield, verse 8, so there was great joy in that city. What, what did great joy look like? What did it sound like? What was happening on a Sunday or midweek when great joy uh, was involved? Well, let's pray that we're not just having to imagine what that looks like, but actually, through the ways in which God works at different times, in different ways, in different places, that's what we're going to find out. That's what we're going to see. So, scattered, the scattered people of God. What about Simon, what are we to make of him? The passage spends a fair bit of time uh, describing this guy to us. Again, it's intriguing because we don't totally know how his story finishes. We get a few glimpses. He's a man with a powerful ministry who himself can perform signs and wonders and as a result has gathered quite a following to himself uh, but that is to do with um, occult powers. He is using sorcery. That could mean, I suppose, he's the ultimate con artist, a trickster. He's just deceiving people. It could be that he's deceiving people in other ways, of course, but it does actually rely on occult, demonic power that somehow he has um, kind of bought into in some way. His whole... 
His whole way of being is to draw attention to himself. He, he boasted that he was someone great. All people high and low gave him their attention and exclaimed, this is what other people say about him. This man is rightly called the great power of God, as though he has some divine uh, agency. Uh, what's, what's remarkable as the story unfolds, as many people give their lives to him, he too apparently is converted. I wonder if it happened in this way, that kind of strutting around the city of Samaria, um, he realised actually after a while, people don't seem to be paying attention to me in quite the way they once did. What's going on? And eventually he catches wind. Okay, it's, it would seem now that people have found someone else. Maybe there's a greater power that Philip is talking about. It piques his interest. He goes and gets involved. He listens and, and pays attention enough to follow the same pattern. He himself, in verse 13, believed and was baptised. And then he followed Philip everywhere. Interestingly, we're not told that he follows Jesus. We're just told he follow, he's interested. So here's a guy who, if he was amongst us on those days when we open up the pool, it's like, you know, everybody, just take a couple of minutes to share your testimony if you're getting baptised today. Philip, take as long as you want, because your testimony is like knocks the socks off everyone else's. It's just like this guy of great influence. We think, oh, it'd be great to hear that story, wouldn't it? And sometimes we can think in those terms of the, wouldn't it be good if? Wouldn't it be good if the, if the celebrity influencer got saved? Just think of the, uh, the impact and the effect that they would have. Because we're in a culture that's so wired to perceive or, or, or to de desire or to follow celebrity. So we'd get, we'd get, I hope we wouldn't, but anyway, get Philip up the front and make it all about him. As time passes, we see that perhaps his initial response wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. His heart gets exposed. There comes a time when the apostles come to town and they lay their hands on people and pray for them and they receive the Holy Spirit. The, the man who's been attracted to power before and wants to be regarded as the great power, can see that something powerful is happening that he's not a part of. And at the moment, he has no access to. So note that when he goes to Peter and John, he doesn't just say, you give me this power, lay hands on me that I might receive as well. He says, here's some money. I want you to give me the ability so that when I lay my hands on other people, they'll receive. And he's willing to pay for it. Again, I wonder, how, how might you respond to that? The new believer, just, oh, Simon, I think he's got the wrong end of the stick there, folks, don't you? Yeah, I'm sure yeah, you'll cotton on one day. Keep listening, keep listening, keep paying attention, and uh, maybe we can meet up for coffee at some point. I'll just, you know, just try and gently persuade you of a few other ways of thinking. Peter clearly hasn't been to the attractional church training program when he says in verse 20, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. 
Modern day translation might be, you and your money are fit for hell. It is, it's the strong language. This is, this is a, strong, uh, a strong term. And, and, and you think, how is he going to respond to that? Peter can see that really God is not in the primary place in this man's life. What he's really after, what he's really interested in is power and money. He must think that he's making a really wise investment. If I pay money to gain this power, think of the fee that I could charge when I lay hands on other people. You see this ugly, horrible approach to, I want to be special. So perhaps he's, he's done the necessary outward things to become part of the community. He has said he believes. But James would say in James chapter 2, even the demons believe that there's one God. There's got to be more. If we're paying attention to this man, perhaps he's there, and Luke's including him, just to remind us, don't pretend. We've had that theme before. Don't pretend. Don't just say you believe. If it's not true. And it's also inviting us to that real response of of repentance, turning away. Don't just say you believe. Don't just try to adopt a Christian lifestyle where the foundation of life is totally unchanged. I, I wonder if that's the case for this guy. He's trying to add God in. He's, he's kind of seeing something attractive, what's going on in other people's lives. He wants to add that into his own life. But the basic foundation of his life is the same. Peter can see that. Peter says, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you. Why would you promise forgiveness, as it were, to someone who might just regard God as like a cosmic slot machine? Just, just pay a coin in there, pull the lever, get out what you want. So he presents forgiveness as a possibility. It's not even clear this man has repented yet and really cast himself on the mercy of God. Perhaps the Lord will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. He says he believes. He's got a kind of what looks like a Christian lifestyle. He's even following Philip round, offering to carry his bags uh, to see what's going on. But underneath, scratch underneath the surface, and he's full of bitterness and captive to sin. And I wonder if that sense of, that, I wonder what, what Simon's bottom line really was. By bottom line, I mean that, that absolute principle, the core belief, the core attitude upon which everything else is built. And I wonder if it's this. God owes me. God owes me. Who knows what... Simon's backstory was and the challenges that he may have faced. If a, if a Hollywood film nowadays were made, it would show us what his parents were like and all the different challenges he faced. And maybe then we'd work out and see why he was such a nasty piece of work. We're all nasty pieces of work. We might all have reasons to say, God owes me. But the heart of the Christian message is no, he doesn't.
God doesn't owe us anything. You thought you could buy the gift of God. It's the gift. Out of God's goodness, he has chosen to give this new life. So God owes me, or maybe God has let me down by the gospel, by repentance, is turned around. And we come to that point of realizing, I owe God. I owe God. It's not that God has let me down. God has never let me down. Highs, he's not let go. And lows, God is utterly faithful. The scattered people of God fleeing Jerusalem to find a new home and a new life for themselves because it's too dangerous to stay in that city anymore could have sang on the way, highs, you don't let go. Lows, you don't let go. This will be my song. Through it all, you are faithful. I'm still so delighted and thrilled by Jesus that I'm going to tell the residents of this city in Samaria, whom before in my previous life I would have granted with absolute suspicion and hostility, I would never have laid my hands on them. It was kind of more, I'll wash my hands of them. I'm going to tell them the good news in Jesus. Why something more wonderful and more amazing has happened and I want the opportunity to tell other people about it. God has never let me down. And I, I owe God everything. But this debt that I could never pay by installments or otherwise, I will, I will gladly receive the wonderful gift of God. And now my whole life will be lived with this as the foundation. God wants lots of people to know the good news in Jesus. See, I wonder even now, we can get so tripped up. It's easy to see the mistakes that Simon may have made. But it's easy to start slipping into the same things ourselves. Maybe this even happens around Christmas. The social anxiety associated with the giving and receiving of gifts. Does anyone else identify with that? The office secret Santa. If you pitch this wrong, I mean, honestly, I, I put in, you know, like this, a hole puncher, nicely wrapped with a bow. And then one of my colleagues I just, has like given me like the most awesome hamper ever. Thank goodness it was secret Santa and they'll never know that it was me who gave the hole punch. What on earth am I going to do? Because we're always looking to kind of give on the basis of, of, of a carefully measured out calculation. If I spend £20 on them, I hope they spend £20 on me. Otherwise, it's not really worked out that well. Well, it turns out also in Acts, 
that we're reminded that, that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. But we look at how much God has given to us. The response is not, oh, I better now try and earn it. Oh, I better now try and give something back that's of equal value somehow. The, the, the message is enjoy all that God gives. Be drawn into his story. Worship and serve him. And there's so much more that could be said. Because I haven't really spoken about Philip or the apostles. But I think that's where we'll land today.